Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to back to Deering Live. It's been a while since we've been here, it feels like, but uh, we're glad to be back. And this week, really excited. We have Enda Scahill from the band We Banjo 3. Fantastic uh, Irish tenor banjo player um, and a fantastic teacher. So I know we're going to we're going to learn a lot and it's going to be fun listening to him play as well. Um, we just got back from IBMA. Um, I wasn't there, but Jamie Laddie was there, um, and Janet Deering was there. Hank Smith was in the booth a lot, and we're glad to see everybody in person. Uh, hope you came and said hello. And um, as well, I, there was one more thing, but we'll get to it later as it just dropped my mind. But with that, I'd like to bring Enda in. Hey, Enda, how you doing? David, how are you? All right. Oh, I just sorry, I just remembered the thing. Jamie wanted me to plug the t-shirts that we have. <laughs> Get rid of me, put on the t-shirts. I'm all about the work. Well, we've got the in live t-shirts. That's what I was supposed to talk about. But uh anyways, and it's great to have you here. It's good. Can I can I have a Deering Live t-shirt? Yeah, we'll get one right out to you just uh you know, after we'll get we'll we'll, we'll get your size after the show. Yes, I'll wear it with pride. <laughs> so you're at home in Ireland right now, right? Yep, I live in Galway City. Been back okay. off tour for the last couple of weeks. And are you going out anytime soon, or do you have a nice resting time at home for a bit? Uh, so two weeks' time, uh, we're going to have the last two US shows of the year. So we're going to be in uh, Frederick, Maryland uh, at the Weinberg Center. And then we're going to play... Uh, what is it? The Outer Banks Bluegrass Festival in North Carolina, which we've never done before. Yeah, that, that, that sounds amazing. So we're closing that festival on the Saturday night. That should be good. That should be a lot of fun. I've, I haven't been there. We sponsor it, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't been there myself. So I've seen pictures. Looks great. Looks, yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, do you want to kick off uh, the show with a tune? Uh, sure. I've no idea what I'm going to play, so I'm just going to start playing <laughs> and see what happens. All right. I had loads of time to practice and then I just panicked. Fantastic. What was that called? Um, I think it's Toss the Feathers, but it could be. I'm pretty terrible with names. Uh, I'm good at some names. So I'm good at the names that I remember and then the other ones. <laughs> and the right. crazy thing with Irish music is that lots of the tunes 
have multiple names and they're like really different names. It's not just like, you know, a little variation of the name. It's a fully different name. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I, I did a tune recently, which I've always known as the Primrose Vale for 25 yeah. years. And it's one of the ones that I said, I definitely know the name of this tune. Everybody else knows it as the Lark and the Strand. So like there isn't even a mm -hmm. floral <laughs> similarity between the two. Right, right. Yeah, I've run because obviously because the Scotch Irish connection, I've run into that in in uh, Appalachian uh, fiddle tunes, which are often you know based off of a Scotch Irish tune. Yeah. Um, is there a variation? Do these names change in different regions of Ireland? I think so, and I and I think what happens with them as well in the modern setting is that, you know. They have associations with maybe the people that wrote them and their name and then there's people who play them and there's associations with that and some people just make up names for them as well you know yeah but definitely you'll have regional because uh, you'll even think of the tamlin reel which like is a really famous irish reel and so it's equally as well known as the Glasgow Reel. So Scottish people will know it as the Glasgow Reel, Irish people know it as the Tamlin Reel, uh, the very same tune, but with two very strong names, as in widely recognizable as both names, which yeah. Yeah. makes loads of sense. And what's the stylistic, are there stylistic differences in different regions of Ireland or, or versus, versus Ireland versus Scotland or? Uh, I mean, on the banjo, probably not. And, and only because it's not that long in the tr in the tradition. Uh -huh. um, so there would be absolutely very definable stylistic differences between, we'll say, Donegal fiddle playing, which is a whole thing on its own, and Sligo fiddle playing, which is very, very re readily identifiable. The same would be true even in if you take the county of Clare, which in, in an American context is like two sides of a town, because right? <laughs> County Clare is not a huge county. But there'd be a very significant difference between what East Clare fiddling is and what West Clare fiddling is. And so this goes back to the time when there was lots and lots of music and there wasn't a lot of travel. And so styles built up, you know, 20 miles apart that were that were very, very different. Uh, the banjo is kind of different because the banjo didn't turn up in Irish music really in a mainstream sense until the, the 70s and the 80s. And so you're then into that part of Irish music where you have tapes and you have CDs and you have travel. So people are moving all around the place. So banjo didn't get an, a, the same opportunity to become established in a geographical area where you could say there is Galway banjo style and there is. Mm -hmm. So it's more associated with people. So you would have a John Carty style of banjo playing. You would have a Jerry O'Connor style of banjo playing. And so it's, it's more identifiable by, the, identifiable by the people who played it. As Got it. Regions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's a smaller, it's a smaller pool, and and yeah, yeah, and it's very widespread now. Like there's tons, yeah. tons of banjo players in Ireland, and phenomenal quality, and particularly in the younger ages, they're they're all masters now. How do you? How did it come to come into Irish music? There's so recent in such recent history, and really blossom so quickly. <coughs> I mean, the story that Mick Maloney tells is that. Uh, the Virginia minstrels in the 1850s when they traveled around the world fr from the US that there was an Irish banjo player 
And so that's the first time that the banjo is recognized as having turned up in Ireland. Um, but curiously, for it to become established and maybe recognized in Irish music, it had to travel back to the US. So back at the turn of the last century in the early 1900s, you had Irish musicians that emigrated to the US and they became established in the New York and Boston recording scenes. So you had the likes of the Flanagan brothers were probably the most famous. Mike Flanagan was the banjo player and he had a, a, a Paragon banjo, which is a very famous brand of banjo, as you know. Uh, and so they, those guys recorded in New York and became household names in the Irish music scene. And those records, I guess, at the time were sent home to Ireland and people listened to them. Uh, and then there's, there's kind of a gap in Ireland until Barney McKenna turns up in the 1960s and starts playing with the Dubliners. And that was really the first kind of recognisable banjo player within the Irish tradition. But of course, the issue with Barney was that while Barney was actually a really great tune player, he was recognised for being in a ballad band which was doing songs. So if you were to talk about the, the kind of the, the strict tradition of traditional Irish music, they would have looked askance at the types at the, at the likes of the Dubliners because they were singing songs and they were singing ballads and they were commercially successful. When mm -hmm. traditional music at that time would very much still have been viewed as something that was to be preserved. Uh, and it hadn't even really gone through the folk revival of the 60s at that stage where the mass populace of Ireland began to actually recognize and enjoy traditional Irish music. So along come the 70s and you have Kieran Hanran who's playing banjo at Stockton's Wing. And again, I, I kind of always think this is curious because Stockton's Wing, uh, to, a certain, to a certain extent, had kind of almost rock and roll sensibilities and that they had drums in, 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 in certain of their songs and electric guitars and stuff like that. Um, so, but Kieran, Kieran is a very traditional player and certainly is now. So you had him and then you had Jerry O'Connor who came along in the, in the, in the 1980s. None of, none of those could be very easily recognised as what you would call traditional Irish music. Jerry played in, in the high-strung tenor tuning. Uh, so Irish, Irish banjo now is recognised as being in GDAE tuning, which is the lower tuning, same as a fiddle. Uh, so it's a kind of an interesting discussion because you say being accepted into the kind of the hallowed halls of traditional Irish music, where they, you know, revere the fiddle and the flute and the harp and the ill and pipes and instruments like that. Banjo was a late comer to all of that, like many generations late. And when it poked its head up, it was doing it in a ballad band, in a kind of a, you know, an Irish Celtic rock band. And then Jerry, who was bringing in all these other musical sensibilities of African music and bluegrass music, you know, so it, <laughs> It was being pushed out as it was coming in, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, that has completely changed now because it, it, there was just such a surge of banjo players that just came along and loved the instrument and then started to play in what would be considered a traditional style, which only developed in the 80s and the 90s. And, and now it's just a, a kind of a household thing. You brought up, you know, playing in traditional in a traditional style, and these 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 musicians and bands who kind of broke with tradition a little bit, and and kind of helped grow the music. It's kind of similar to what a little, you know, We Banjo Three is doing 
is, is, you know, breaking the tradition, but how do you, even if you're playing in Irish, you know, Irish music, but you're playing traditional tunes, how do you, where can you put like yourself into it and kind of not just play kind of note for note the song, but put, you know, your own personality into it without, without taking too many liberties and kind of, you know, <laughs> ruining it. Yeah. 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 Ooh, that's a kind of a question of like, how long have you got? And, <laughs> how, how, you know, so there's the, one of the beautiful things about Irish music is that there's always been huge scope for uh, interpretation and in variation of a tune. And mm -hmm. even going back to the idea of having a Donegal version of a tune and a clear version of the same tune, it will have some subtle differences. And then individual players can put lots of different ornaments and variations and, and kind of harmonic accompaniments to their own music. That makes it very, very individual. While it's still recognizable as that very simple piece of music, because Irish music is very simple. And I think that's one of the things that makes it, it's, makes it most fascinating. And it also means that <clears throat> if you get a session of Irish musicians, you know, seven or eight musicians that are all playing, there's a repertoire of music that they will all know but while they're playing an individual tune, they're all playing a slightly different version of, of the tune. You know, when it comes to the kind of the tail ends of parts and stuff like that, there will be lots of little differences, but it all kind of works together because of the understanding of, of, of where the tune is going. And so a huge amount of that is down to the individual, the individual musician, how they, how they interpret the tune. And I mean, that ultimately is what defines a musician's style and you mm -hmm. can recognize, you know, how, how do you recognize one fiddle player from another fiddle player without seeing them? And, and often it's because you understand the interpretation that they're putting on the tune, the little twists and turns that they're going to add in at the end of parts or halfway through the tune. And you go, ah, that's Frankie Gavin. That's Martin Hayes. That's John Carty. That's Tommy Peoples. And we just, you know, and I'm sure the same is true in, in lots of other different uh, uh, genres of music as well. Um, so what are some of the little twists and turns that you like to do in traditional mm -hmm. tunes? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And uh, again, this changes all of the time, you know, and it can change if you're hanging out with a certain musician and playing tunes and you'll pick up little nuances that they're doing and you get pulled in one direction. I mean, one of the things that I, lo I, I do love to do uh, is to take like a very simple tune and then try to create interest it's almost like creating a story with the tune but you're playing it multiple times and you know how far can you kind of pull the fibers of the tune apart without it not being the tune anymore mm -hmm. um, and so ornamentation uh, kind of chordal runs and little uh, variations are, are, are the ways that i like to play around with it so we'll take a tune that's the humor zatola which is literally one of the first tunes that any child would learn because it's it's such a simple little tune but you can turn it inside out and it's still the humor of the so i'm just going to play play around with this the idea of i'm just going to play the tune and then see what happens as it goes okay. along and just you know hope that it's not yeah. an absolute car crash and then i'll be saying all that last bit <laughs>
hope you can kind of what I like to have in my mind when I'm doing when I'm doing that is the idea of kind of contrast so that you'll have a busy part and then you've kind of quieten it down a little bit play a bit that's kind of messier or dirtier and then simplify it uh, and so when I'm teaching these things it's the idea of you know it's almost like like I said it's like telling a story you start out with the very simple and you always return to the refrain which is this, this mm-hmm. the, the, the simple melody that somebody went and wrote so you do have to honor that as well Right. You can't just turn it into a free jazz, you know, experiment. You know, it's <laughs> you have to stick playing off the melody, essentially. Yeah, because otherwise it's it's just like here, play something in the key of D and, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so some of the some of bringing it into some, some techniques that I saw you do to kind of, you know, there I saw, you know, you did some string bending, you did some double stops. And then there, there's melod, there's melodic, you know, improvisation, melodic ornamentation going on. Do yeah. you want to talk about um, a couple of those things? Yeah. So I mean, the the most um, recognizable ornament in in banjo is just the three note treble. Mm-hmm. And there's there's two ways to to do this. And again, I always liken this to there's the Jerry O'Connor method, <laughs> which is a really crisp, clean. Uh, triplet um, and then Seamus Egan that played with Solace uh, he kind of really coined the the dampened or the stuttered triplet which is to of those three notes that you dampen two of them which is basically just placing your finger on the string and and, and pressing in for the third one So it gives you a kind of a more percussive uh, sound. And if you hear Jerry playing it, it's going to be way, way crisper. So I try and use both. Yeah, that's that second way is kind of like a, a funk guitar little lick, like where you'd be kind of muting the string like that. <clears throat> yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, the fiddle fiddlers who do the single note bow triplets as well uh-huh. and they tend because then you're getting that kind of bow sound you're gonna go you're gonna it's, it's like emulating that with that as opposed to doing the finger roll which is a lot cleaner sounding yeah. so with banjo i feel i'm always kind of pulling from other instruments as well you know so that's the that's the basic one note triplet or treble and you know the slight elongation of that is to is to use a combination of notes. So it's kind of you're running up into notes and running down out of notes. So just to kind of roll back in it a little bit, one of the one of the things that I, I found that banjo playing in general suffered from over the years was this very heavy-handed kind of metronomic playing and it's a combination of factors a lot of which it comes down to kind of maybe poor technique or um, a, a lot of right hand tension and so and sometimes the banjo was associated with you know somebody arriving into a session and going you know and it was all it was like really really stiff and, and 
you know, so one of the things that I am always trying to do with ornamentation is to is to create phrases that don't exist on the banjo, right? So I know I'm all over the shop now. No, that's good. <laughs> when when fiddle players are playing a reel, there's a, there's a, a natural phrase is created when the bow changes changes direction, and the same is is true for a flute because they have to take a breath. And so I remember as a kid looking at the notes for a flute, and it was like breath was written. Take mm -hmm. a breath here, take a breath here. And it, it wasn't at the same place every time. And so there was a natural pause that happened in the tune. And the same is true even of button accordion, maybe, maybe to a lesser extent concertina. It doesn't happen on the banjo. And for that reason, you could play even a simple tune like this. So there's no phrase, there's no pause, yeah. there's no, you know. So one of the ways to do that is to use the ornaments. So you're going to roll in and out of corners. And so you're creating that wave, the ebb and the flow of yeah. the music uh, through the use of ornamentation. So that's your, your basic. In terms of the right hand, it's, it's three over two. It's essentially three notes in the space of two. So that's the, that's the basic stuff. Uh, some of the little <clears throat> kind of subtler harmonic things like hammer-ons, they just ameliorate the softness that you're, you're, you're bringing in by doing a triplet instead of just playing all of the notes. So again, it's looking for these little dips in the music. Uh, Pull-offs are a, a little bit different in Irish music because they're quite twangy and there's only certain places on the banjo that you can do them. Uh, and slides, of course, are, are very handy. But and again, it's, it's all about that, trying to, trying to move away from the metronomic playing Mm -hmm. and bring that little pull and the little edge to it. So there's, there's players that use loads of slides and loads of hammer-ons and they kind of, their kind of style is very groovy. Cahal mm -hmm. Hayden, who plays with the band Four Men and a Dog as a banjo player, always springs to mind when I, when I think about, you know, he, he's a really groovy player that he's always kind of, he's a big fan of the slides uh, and that kind of hammer-on style, you know? And, uh, and I guess the last piece then is the harmonies, the harmonic notes. And it's, it's, the, same, it's the same outcome, which is that you're, you're trying to create color and you're trying to create interest. Uh, you're trying to create that contrast between the simple fast playing and the, fr the phrased parts.
kind of limit to where you can come come with that stuff. There there are certain tunes where the setup of the melody will allow you to almost play a counter melody that happens. Mm -hmm. um, there's one I always go to. The I think it's the uh, Green Groves. This is in A minor. tune to do that just it creates a, a a kind of a very interesting point in the tune and it's it's again it's about bringing a lot of tension into it and then relieving that when you go back into the first half of that tune you get back into that big a minor <laughs> and i learned how to do all of this just by putting my finger on notes and hitting them and hoping for the best and if it sounded good you know <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Twelve-year-old was going, yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, and over the years, I've kind of learned a little bit about what the chord names are and things like that. But uh, a lot of it is kind of intuitive at this stage. Well, I know you're. You know, you talked about tension and and, and kind of um, losing that tension in your playing, and, and I know you're a big advocate for you know for mindfulness and breathing while you're playing. So if you want to uh, talk a little bit about that and how you can kind of lose your, your tension. I'm only laughing because I need it so badly right now. <laughs> There's a reason they call it a mindfulness practice is because you have to practice it. And <laughs> literally in the last couple of days, I'm like, oh my God, I need to get back to practicing mindfulness again. So I am, I, I think I was doing it before before it was, uh, it was, it was cool and, and known as mindfulness. And I, I was, it was a necessity for me because I had, this is a good, good while ago, like 20 years ago. And I started to develop ferocious pains in my arms when I was playing. And, you know, I had no idea about anything except playing really hard music and, you know, I was playing seven nights a week and I was teaching and I had a full-time job and I was in my 20s. So like you bounce back from everything super fast. And and then suddenly I had like shoulder pain and neck pain and elbow pain. And I was like, Where, what is all of this, you know? And so the story is that I, I went to this lady for some uh, kind of acupuncture energy treatments because after trying everything else and finding there was nothing physically wrong with me and I didn't have a brain tumor. Um, and she oddly enough spotted me on the television playing playing with Frankie Gavin and when I went into her the next week she said Andy you hold your breath when you're playing and that's the reason that you got all this pain and I was like what you know I've been playing for 15 years and I was like I haven't what? and so I, I was so curious and I, and I went to the mm -hmm. pub that night and I started playing and I realized that I was taking big deep gulps of breath and then I was stretched and mm -hmm. I was straining and I was trying so hard and I was creating all of this physical pain and my elbow had got so bad at that stage that I actually had to like largely stop playing for a period of time. So I went to a yoga class 
as she recommended. And I stood in my in the yoga class the first day and they said, now take a big deep breath through your belly. And I thought I was going to either pass out or throw up. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've been holding this for so long, you know. And I went home and I said, I need to, I need to learn how to do these two things at the same time. Because as soon as I picked up the banjo, I just immediately detensed up because I'd now been doing this for years. And every time I went to play an Irish tune, I had just that muscle memory or whatever they call it. The association with Irish music and the technicality meant that I immediately tensed. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, this is kind of where we Banjo 3 came from in one sense. Because I said, there must be something that I can play that I don't have an emotional connection to. In, in, in that way that it, it immediately just brings up all of this effort and trying. Mm-hmm. And so I started just kind of jamming or kind of riffing on an old time. And so it was very easy. It was very relaxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no competitive nature to it because I, I wasn't trying to fit in a load of triplets and all that kind of stuff. And so I would sit in my room and I would just breathe in and out and like deep belly breathing. And my wife would come up and close the door after about 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> as if to say, do you not know any other tunes? <laughs> and I would get into a completely meditative state. And so I trained myself to breathe and play at the same time. And so when I went to play Irish music, I was caught in this kind of jag between the two. And so then I had to use the training, essentially, and bring it into Irish music. Now, what I didn't anticipate is that my ability to play on a technical level took off exponentially because now I had removed what I had. I didn't even realize I had, which was all of these barriers to, to technique through the tension. And so everything became really soft and suddenly I could play way more stuff and started to experiment with lots of different variations and rhythm and speed and the whole lot. And the other aspect is that when I was, when I was playing and when I did go really deep into the breathing is that I hit that zone where I was no longer actually playing the music, where I was just kind of observing the music being played. And it only happened a couple of times and it was so exciting that of course I tried to recreate it immediately and, and made a mess of it, you know. <laughs> I was like, that was so cool. Let's do it again, you know. And um, but that did start my interest in in old timey music and old time rhythms because it's it's so fun to play because it's just so yeah. relaxing. And so that was when I asked David and Martin Howley over to my house and I said, "Bring your banjos, and we're just going to jam." And we're having a great time. And we said, yeah. well, "Let's start a band and do a couple of gigs and." You know, in a lot of ways, the rest is history. And then I forgot all about that breathing stuff because suddenly I'm on stage and I'm standing up and there's big crowds and, you know, and you're under there's so much pressure and everything's happening so fast. So it's something that I'm going back to. I've come back to now recently, which is when I am playing, it's to try and find the, find the space between what I'm thinking about as I'm playing or actually to try not to think at all if I if I if I can I, I read the book Effortless Mastery and I watched a couple of um watched a couple of live streams with Kenny Werner 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Berkeley and he teaches the Effortless Mastery course. I'm not sure where this conversation started, but I feel like I've gone off on a massive tangent. But I'm going no, to keep it's going. great. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. So Kenny, he, he, his big, his whole teaching is that once we start to try, our mind gets involved, tension floods in and the, and the music is gone. And then we're, we're just up here and no music comes from up here. All the music comes from here and you can't get to here if you're trying to be good. So he says, you know, if you sit down and you go, oh, right, I'm going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm going to play amazing music. More, more than likely, you're going to make a mess because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you've already lost the battle, you know. And so he sits at the piano and he goes, this is the most amazing sound I've ever heard anywhere in the universe. And then he just plays a note. And I was blown away with that. And I was like, well, I'm going to try that in the banjo. And it was a kind of pretty cool experience, right? Yeah. So this is one of the things that I'm trying to teach at the moment is how to, how to get that distance between the inner critic, which is always out ahead, judging what we're about to play before we even play it. And just to, to not pay attention to that and to come back down into the body and trust that the technique that I've worked on and that the tune that I know will get played. Um, and it's, it's interesting, like when I was doing the Humor Zatala, you know, there were points in that where I was like, right, I should really try to do something cool in this. And that's where my fingers get all tangled up. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just kind of uh, zone out from that and just get into the, the actual, get into your fingers and feel the music, that's when the cool stuff actually happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, this for this, it's on a lot, eh? Because I used to play seven nights a week sort of thing, tenor banjo gigs, and the banjo's heavy. I'd have pains in my, in my, in my elbows, in my shoulder, in my back. I wouldn't want to practice at all because it just, it just wasn't fun to touch it. Um, but then took a lesson with Tony Trishka from, and he talked about breathing because because Brian Sutton is really big into this and 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 still something i definitely need to work on but i i would always hold my breath just like you and and i think it's a very common thing for a lot of a lot of musicians especially when you're trying to play stuff that's a bit above where you're at at that point and you're just kind of pushing yourself and uh, yeah but it's something you need to continually do because it, you definitely can fall back to your old habits and just start tightening up again if you don't kind of focus on it. Yeah, without a doubt. And in actual fact, I know for me that when the breathing becomes my main focus, the music just plays itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and like I said, I've I've had those experiences where I've actually looked down at the banjo and gone, wow, who who was playing this? Because what's happening is just so intuitive. Now, it's, mm-hmm. only ha- it's only happened a handful of times, but it happened when I wasn't thinking about trying to play really well yeah. when I was putting all of the focus. And I've talked about this before. It's, it's the main reason that I wear sunglasses on stage when I'm with We Banjo 3. It's not, I mean, yeah, part of it is getting dressed up to go on stage, but it's like if I remove one factor between the music and uh, listening and playing and standing and getting all of those technical aspects right and the audience and if i could (laughs) 
So if I, if I remove the audience from my own picture in terms of the stuff that I have to physically interact with when I'm on stage, it, it means that I can go inside a little bit more and focus on what I'm playing or not focus on what I'm playing. And bizarrely, when, I, when I'm at home here uh, and, I'm, and I'm practicing, I always wear headphones. Um, because the sound practice the with the metronome or just to even just shut out the, the, the world yeah shut out the world shut out the room sound because yeah. when, when I hear the banjo in the room and maybe it's from years of playing with in-ear monitors and mm -hmm. playing live loud loud live music most of the time I play I'm feeling the music internally and I mean that on a physical level as in mm -hmm. I've got you know full isolation monitors in and there's thousands of people in the audience and the stage sound is insanely loud. And so a lot of it is, is feel, I'm playing by feel. And so when I'm at home and I can hear the banjo in the room, the inner critic is just straight out in, like it's four beats ahead, kind of going, oh, you're gonna mess up that bar. <laughs> I put these on and I just get into the zone of feeling. And sometimes like if I'm practicing, if I'm, if I'm running stuff that I want to improve, I'll put Netflix on, on the computer. And I'll watch that and I'll play. I've heard um, Ron Block talk about that. He does that a lot as well. And you can do it while still folk, while still not just kind of getting sloppy. And it, I, the sloppiness disappears because yeah. I'm, I'm no longer engaged in the trying yeah. and critiquing, critiquing process. So that, that part, there's a part of my brain that's doing something else. Yeah. And that just lets me play. And I can just, and everything gets really slow. And because I'm not hearing, hearing it so loudly, everything gets super soft. And that's one of the things with banjo as well, is to play really soft. You know, um, I read a book by Julie Lieberman uh, called You Are Your Instrument. And the thing that I took away from the book was that uh, take out your instrument and play it and give your, your force a score of 100 and now play it 50 play at 40, you'll probably have the same outcome mm -hmm. in terms of volume and tone and everything, right, right. you know? And so one of the ways I do that is just by isolating myself from the, the sound of it. I mean, I find myself over playing on the, the tenor banjo a lot live. I can get, I can get into the playing softly and having a light touch, but live a lot of the time I'll overplay because it's an acoustic instrument, especially this single strings. They aren't very fat. There's no sustain, and it's so it's not. You, it's like you want to, you know, this. It doesn't do anything, as you, you know, as you just said. It doesn't really make it any louder. But is there a way to get out of that that habit of, of while you're playing live of not trying to just like, again, it's the tightening up, and then you're you're just trying to make it too loud. Just just play within your own space rather than too. Especially when you're at like playing in acoustic setting in like a in a in a bar or something, you mm. know. I mean, I, I think what I've done with that over the last number of years is cre kind of reconciling the role of the banjo within a session or within, particularly within the band. Mm -hmm. So I see it as part of a an overall texture, as opposed to a lead instrument that's out in front. And that's that's kind of leading the way. Right. And so from my point of view, <clears throat> I hate to be leading because it's too much pressure. And I and, and maybe I can develop a way to deal with that. But currently, I love to play behind everybody else. 
So I mm-hmm. just kind of I sit behind and I, I you know I played a session last weekend with a fiddle player and, and an accordion player, and it's just like I see the the banjo is that middle texture. Um, so I don't feel the need to be trying to drive on the tune and to be leading the rhythm and leading everything else because that just stresses me out and then I don't mm-hmm. enjoy what I'm doing. Whereas I just kind of sit in behind and it's, uh, with the band, it's the same thing. It's just like, you know, Fergal on the fiddle is almost like that lead role in terms of driving. You've got mm-hmm. Dave who's, you know, pushing the rhythm. And so there's, there's lots of tunes in Me Band of Three that I don't play all the notes mm-hmm. because, I, because I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, because it's I'm creating that that overall textural sound, and so there's a comfort in being able to just kind of relax into that. But if you put me in a room on my own and said, "Here, play me four reels in a row," like by the time I get to the end of the fourth reel, I'm probably going to be pretty tired and stiff and going and hate myself and go, "Why am I doing this?" Right. <laughs> Do you know, and I'm okay with that now because I see like, yeah, if you if you put me with a really good guitar player, it's almost like I can. I can sit into the mix and just let the banjo be be part of it. it you know, I don't I don't need or want or have to be kind of out in front uh, leading the race because that, I find that very, very stressful. I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 definitely. Do you want to play another tune right now? Sure. Well, I got two more banjos here, so I might as well. Sure. I got one really pretty banjo. So I used to say it was made for TV. And I'll really be, uh, you know, monitoring your breathing technique during this song. Oh, too. God. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is a, cl- a clarine satanta. It's one of the very first ones that, that Tom made and Tom and Finton. Cool. Um, it's beautiful. Like a walnut barrel. Um, yeah. I need to take off the bit of foam at the back. Um, it's a funny instrument because uh, when Tom made it first, the entire banjo was walnut, including the tone ring. And the walnut tonering did not work. It just made it uh-huh. really muddy, and so there's a maple, uh, there's a maple ring in it now. But, it, I've but had is there a metal tone ring in there as well? It's a maple rim, but is maple there maple rim? See, look, yeah. I don't even know the names of the things. Right, there's a metal tone ring and a maple rim. Okay. The the walnut rim did not work. It just was soggy, and yeah. It, it made the banjo feel like you were running through kind of wet ground. It was mm-hmm. just like so heavy to play. It still weighs a metric ton, you know, because uh, it got one of those big flanges. I've had four different heads on it, and this is the one that sounds best, but it's also tuned about a tone or a half a tone below standard. Is that head a thicker head? It's not a, yeah. It's, it's not a top frosted head. It's a, it's... It's, a, it's a very thick synthetic skin yeah. head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it with the light there, but it's starting to wear, and some of the the fiber is actually coming away off it. So yeah. Um, and a bone bone in bridge, which it just softened a lot of it, and yeah, it's this is a good few years old, but it's finally starting to kind of find its own character.
nice. <laughs> was it? Was that tune? That one is actually Toss the Feathers. So I have no okay, idea what the first tune I played was. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> the action is pretty low on this, so <clears throat> sometimes you will get a little bit of the fret noise when you hit it kind of hard. But that's one of the trade-offs. Because it's super low, it's so easy to play. Um, really, really nice to play. What string gauges do you like to use when you're playing a, a standard tenor? Yeah, so I'm using 11, probably a 16 or a 17 wound, 26 wound, uh, obviously, and a 32. Uh, I tune my G string up to A. Okay. I have done for a long time. So that's why I get away with a 32. If it was a G, I'd probably go with a 34 or a 36. Um, I'm always trying to get as light as I can with strings. You don't feel that you lose, uh, you know, the fatness or something, or, or that it gets a little thin sounding ever? Um, it's been so long since I tried anything else. Right, yeah. Yeah. But now that you mention it, a few people have said that. So I'd be curious. <laughs> I'm kind of lazy when it comes to reading. <laughs> no, I banjos, I'm like, <laughs> There's... Like, especially when you have multiple banjos. <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 what I'm using it, and and I use that on all of them. I have I have a neckfill banjo as well here, which is a plectrum banjo. Um, technically speaking, and I have the same gauges on that. Now this I I, I tune this down at a full tone when it's open, and then I I capo, and then it's mm -hmm. in kind of Irish Irish tuning, but. Um, the reason I got this made was very much because of what we, we were doing with We Banjo 3 is that I wanted something that could sound like a bluegrass or a kind of an old timey banjo and an uh -huh. Irish banjo at the same time. And right. this kind of covers both, you know. So, you know, one of the things we, we've been experimenting with in the band is trying to bring some of that bluegrass sound or the cross picking sound in, into our, into, well, not, not so much into Irish music, but onto an Irish banjo. Yeah. So sometimes I'll use ADAD, which is kind of like bazooki tuning. Mm -hmm. And that just, that gives you that top tone. feel the rust <laughs> i can feel the rust on that one <laughs> it definitely has more of a five string banjo you know somewhere between five string banjo and like an like a guitar you know in a certain way too it yeah and it sounds amazing within the context of the the wee banded three tone uh, but also on stage and it's just got a fishman pickup in it um mm -hmm. but it has a roundness that really works well on stage you know when it's when it's amplified right. just because of the nature of the banjo there's a lot more roundness in the mids than there is with your traditional irish tenor which is always kind of tilted a little bit more toward that pinky sound um which cuts an awful lot harsher yeah the depth is more sounds like there's more sustain coming out on that on that banjo yeah, and that's the trade-off because you get the sustain partly because of the hugely long neck. Yeah. So when it's when it's fully open, 
it's it's too big to play Irish music on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just yeah, for yeah, me it's anyway. Too, it's just yeah. It's too no, big. you'd have to have enormous hands. Yeah. So hence capoing and like I mean it's so funny. I I had about six different types of capo, and then what is that capo that you're using now? Curious. That's an that's an Elliot. Okay, those are nice. Very good. Yeah, we ran ran into Bella Fleck backstage at Wintergrass in 2020, mm -hmm. and uh, I just said, "What what capo do you use?" Because uh, the ones that I have are wrecking my head because they're just they're they're just not sounding right. And he goes, "Here, try this one," and I put it on. And the sound the sound engineer Frank was just down the corridor, <clears throat> and he comes straight up. He goes, "What's that? That sounds amazing." I was like, "That's Bela's capo." He goes, "You got to get one of those." And yeah. So I I couldn't tell you what the difference is, but it's it's huge. Well, it's so, nice. I like, personally, I like those capos that come straight back versus coming at an angle so it doesn't bend the strings too, and you can really set it without mm -hmm. going out tune so much. Uh, yeah. So this is where I normally play it then, which is, yeah. it, it kind of makes it a sort of a 20 fresh. The scale length is, is that scale length when you capo it close to uh, your standard tenor, or is it still larger? It's still a little bit larger, I think. I'll probably catch myself out in the. It is, yeah. It's still. Yeah, yeah. It's still so you fret, can fret longer. Reaching, reaching isn't too hard though. <laughs> With effort, I haven't played it right. in four weeks, and I, I'll notice this when I go back on tour. I'll be like, "Oh, this is kind of because when I play this all summer, and then I come home and I take up one of the Irish banjos, they feel like a toy. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. In comparison, you know. But there's such beautiful resonance from this that, like, it's. Uh... Sometimes I'll kind of be half afraid of it because I'll, I I know how wide the stretch is, mm -hmm. and then as soon as I start playing it, I'm like, oh, I remember why I enjoy this banjo so much because the tone is. And the tone's need, good. Yeah, yeah it, need, it needs strings. I think I last put strings on it before a three-day weekend in Kansas City, so it's had a bit of humidity and heat and <laughs> lots of sweat. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Well, I know you use a couple different picks from our last interview, um, and Alan Jones here is asking uh, what plectrum you use. I, I, I would say that I have probably, I'm close to finding the perfect pick, right? <laughs> so if Stringjoy are watching, uh, that's a Stringjoy Jumbo Jazz, and that's the 0 0.6. And if they would make a 0 0.55, 
they would have made the perfect Irish banjo pick. This one is awesome and it's teeny bit too... So I will use this on stage when it's loud because you just need a little bit extra grist. Uh -huh. um, and when I'm at home, I'll use the 0 0.5. That's teeny bit too soft. So there's a 0 0.55 that Stringjoy, if they would make for me, I'd be a very, very happy man. So what are you feeling when you when you play a lighter pick versus a heavier pick? What's what's the tonal difference in the mainly? There's a, yeah, there's there's uh, there's a tonal difference. There's a there's a more uh, there's a roundness to the heavier pick. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see. This is the this is the zero point five, and this is the zero point six. There's a subtle difference in the tone for sure. And a lot of it depends on what I'm doing. So if I'm playing very lightly and quite fast, the, the heavier pick is very useful. But my preference over the years has always been for a slightly lighter pick. And um, Definitely on the Irish banjos, the point six is not as nice. Now I, I'm a very light pick holder, so there's no, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm never squeezing. It's always super light, and if right. anything, like the weight of my thumb is holding the pick in place an awful lot of the time. And like that's one of the things that I teach. Very big advocate of <clears throat> having good pick hold because it's all about minimizing tension. So, like, if you're holding the pick like that, almost like a pencil, you uh -huh. squeeze in two directions in order to just literally physically hold the pick. And so, yeah, when you transfer that to playing, then suddenly all of this is just super tight. So, yeah. doing it that way reduces the amount of tension that it holds to just. Mm -hmm just to hold, hold it. So they're currently my favorite picks. String, but the only thing with them as well, like just cause of the material, is that like in a, in a 90 minute gig, I go through three string joys. And then I just either sharpen them on a carpet or, or uh, throw them away. They wear out really, like, yeah. Three, three per gig, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they carve like a little hole, like a little groove in them almost, like are they're just like totally eaten away almost. Uh, just the the pointy bit at the top is gone and, and they, it's just they gone, get, yeah. They get rounded yeah. out, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about your Patreon page. you've you know, if anybody's not checked it out, there's a ton of great content up there. And um do you, can you just bring that up and and Talk about how that got started and and what's on there and what people can find. Yeah, so it it, <clears throat> it started I because I, I, I ran a series of workshops online um, this time last year, and uh, so we would watch instructional videos together and then have a kind of a long group discussion afterwards, and it was really enjoyable from certainly from my point of view, and I think people got an awful lot out of it, and. What came from it was the idea. So essentially what, what I'm doing with Patreon at its most basic level <clears throat> is that I'm taking a tune 
and I'm showing you how to learn the simple tune, right? But then how to incrementally improve the tune by adding in simple ornamentation and then some of the more complicated ornaments that we were talking about earlier in terms of slides and hammer-ons, how to use chords and how to interpret the tune, you know, with major, minor and passing notes and all of that kind of stuff. And then there's always one version of the tune that has all the bells and whistles. And I'm using the, uh, the website Sound Slice, which means that it's a video of me playing and talking. Uh, and then you have the option of having stave, tab, ABCs that run, you know, concurrently with the music. What's happening on it, which I think is fascinating, is that you can have banjo players at every single level that'll go and they'll, they'll learn a, a simple tune. We're doing the Tamlin at the moment. Um, now, so from my point of view as a teacher, there's a, there's a little bit of trickery required in that first part because the fingering isn't as straightforward as what it seems. And so I can create a short video which is just about how to do the finger work for that part. Um, and then the second part of the tune, which I think is really cool. For this one, I just put in a cross picking section in it, which I'll probably get wrong now because I can't remember what it was exactly. Right. And so that has become a real highlight of that tune because it's something different. It's a bit of a challenge in terms of picking. But what I love about it is that you'll have a player who's not playing too long, maybe only a couple of years, and they'll go and they'll learn the simple tune, and they're playing it at the pace that they're capable of at the moment, which might be kind of 60 BPM or whatever. And next thing they'll come along with that. So it's affording people the the opportunity to pick out really cool ornaments or chordal pieces from the complex tune and slot it into the simple one that they're learning. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing, you know, I've kind of got to got to the stage now where each tune that I do has maybe six or seven individual video lessons. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, certain tunes will have picking techniques that we mm -hmm. need to focus on. It's like, you know, if, if there's a run of ornaments in a... That that's no longer following the, the, the rules for triplets. Now we're into a, you know, the, that'll be a tremolo piece. And so it's bringing people's attention to that section. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the basic place of... And so I, I'm trying to pick tunes then that will will either challenge uh, a different, uh, a particular type of technique, whether it's picking or left hand fingering. So we'll, we'll, we'll take tunes that head up to the high B, which is always a breaking point for me and lots of other banjo players, like getting that pinky up onto the top of the E string. Um, and so I'll just give different variations of ways to finger that so that you, you don't have to do the massive stretch. And there's other ways of getting around it. So we've introduced the ideas of, you know, shifting positions uh, in Irish banjo. Um, I've also created a Discord server, thanks to my 12-year-old son, who was like, you're not on Discord? And I was like, what the hell is Discord? And so it's <laughs> very popular with gamers, but um, for all intents and purposes, it's like a giant uh, WhatsApp group, except it's broken down into different topics. So, like... When I'm on tour, 
<laughs> I did a video on how to sharpen your picks on a carpet because I had all of these worn down picks. And so I'll pop that up on Discord and then that generates a whole bunch of conversation. People are like, oh my God, you know, I didn't know you could do that. And it's like, what picks are you using? And then we'll do a, a whole pick discussion and there's technique videos in there. There's discussions going on about, you know, listening recommendations. Yesterday, one of the one of the guys in Colorado, Matt, put up a whole series of photographs and how he was able to sort out a buzz on on his fretboard. So these are skills that I don't have. And mm-hmm. so he like he takes the whole group through how to do that. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I learned something from this. You know, it's very interesting. <laughs> Uh, we do monthly Zoom calls. It's either me chatting. Last month we had Jerry O'Connor on for nearly two hours, just talking about banjo and you know, brilliant. Uh, we've had Seamus Egan a couple of months ago and Damien O'Kane and uh, and then the last piece is that we do a, a video exchange. So, as folks send me a video of them playing every month, and I do a kind of a top-down analysis, and then we try and make that month-by-month progress find the, the areas of their playing where they're kind of button up against barriers and when we try and work through those you know so uh so far it's it's been really successful and very very popular and uh i have a ton of fun with it because i love sitting as you know now from the last hour bloody talking <laughs> <once you've started laughs> talking <laughs> we have a couple a couple questions from uh from some viewers would like to get to um one julie colton is asking if you can show us those inlays close up those inlays of your banjo oh th- this one yeah so they're uh, you know what material that is it's turquoise <laughs> and it's real it's real it's real turquoise yeah it's real turquoise it's not yeah. a synthetic or anything no no real turquoise and oh. they are two irish salmon Wow, that's cool. The next topic close to my heart, fishing. We won't go there because otherwise we'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> um, Terry, Terry Hill is saying, what are some good Irish bands to see or look up? Oh, um, I would start with the classics like uh, Dervish, Alton. Um they're, I mean, they're the two great legacy bands that have been around for nearly 30 years. And their music is fantastic. Um, I would go and listen. If you're into banjo, then go and listen to Solace, Seamus Egan's band. How do you spell that? that? Uh, Solace. S-O-L-A-C-E? S-O-L-A-S. I guess the Americans pronounce it Solas. But it's an Irish word that means light, Solace. Uh, they're a fantastic band. Um, b- big favourites of mine would be Dedanon. So they're a Galway band of Frankie Gavin, who's the fiddle player. And they made some seminal recordings in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, like just absolutely groundbreaking fiddle with Bauron and Greek Bazooki, accordion, no. Martin O'Connor, Jackie Daly. Uh, they were some of the best music uh, ever recorded. And I mean, if you want to go right back and get a great kind of starting point in the education of Irish music, I'd go back and start with the likes of Planksty and okay. the, Bothy, the Bothy Band. I mean, they were the guys that are at the forefront of the folk revival in the 60s and 70s. And they played amazing music and they're still, you know, they're still some of the most important recordings ever made. Cool. Great. Um, I also want to bring up 
um we banjo three released a, a new record this summer um mm -hmm. open the road uh what how'd that you know how's that doing and and it's a fantastic album everybody you know you should take a listen to it and uh can you just talk about uh, quickly about the concept of, of going into that album yeah it was funny we we had rehearsed a lot for it probably more than any album that we'd ever recorded because we had time during 2021 when we were at home and then as touring opened up kind of in late 21 the question was arising like when are we going to find time to record it because we were looking at you know hardcore touring because like everybody else there was two years of cancelled dates and rescheduled dates and people that had held on to tickets for years and years and, and so we were due to go on tour in January of this year um, and then just because of a COVID surge we had a two-week tour that was pulled in kind of the west coast and stuff mm -hmm. uh, and so we said let's let's just go for it you know uh, so instead of doing the tour we flew out to Maryland and we went to our sound engineer Frank's studio and had 10 days and we were done in nine I believe and uh, and then we re-recorded so the the title track is open the road it's a seven minute piece of music that's different one of the challenges that we set ourselves was that every night that we play it it has to be different so like there's a basic tune and then the tune goes in multiple different ways depending on the mood of, of the night so after playing that all the way through march on tour it changed phenomenally from when we had recorded in the studio mm -hmm. so we, we we just hired a studio for an afternoon in Ann arbor michigan uh mid-tour i went in and re-recorded that one uh, just that tune yeah. yeah 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 because it was it had developed so much just from playing yeah. it on the road you know um so there's a bunch of fantastic guests i mean there's a friend of ours steve ferroni who drummed with um tom petty like he's drumming on one of the tracks he's on a five like rock and roll drummer All right. um we got ryan malloy is on keys others Abigail Washburn, I think, was probably my favorite guest. She's singing and playing Clawhammer on, on a song called Garden Song. And well, well, it's kind of a funny story. I mean, what she does vocally on that song, only Abigail would have come up with it. You know, her harmony lines are just right. so unusual and brilliant. But Bela was working on the track. So this, <laughs> this was the track that we tried over and over to record in the studio, and we just couldn't get the feel right. And we had a demo track when we had just barely, barely knew the song that we had recorded uh, in Galway, just on a, on a Zoom, I think. And we, we kept going back to that recording and saying, look, the vibe on that, we just couldn't recapture it. So I says, why don't we use this? And so I had a couple of fluff notes on the banjo, which I, I knew were there. Uh, and so when we had done our bit, we sent it to Bela. And he sent me an email going, I hope it's okay. I went in and isolated your banjo and I just fixed a couple of those bum notes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, so there, yeah, you have Abigail yeah, singing and playing banjo. It's an awesome track, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a great recording, everybody. Y'all definitely should take it out. It's available all the all the usual spots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and uh, this, this has been great. You know, I've, I've a, I have a huge list of things I wanted to cover, but we'd sit here 
for hours on end. So, so <laughs> you just want to talk about fly fishing, don't you? <laughs> really? Actually, there's another question here that came up just now from Alan Jones. He's asking, is We Banjo 3 likely to tour England anytime soon? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not, 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 not for any negative reason. Just it's not the, a societal, political sort of no, thing no, going no. on? Just, <laughs> not, nothing on the horizon currently. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, would you like to play one more tune, play us out as we Sure. Do? Yeah. Well, let's go with the crazy deep banjo for a little bit of fun. Ah, put the bunch of green rushes. Or will we? Sweet. <laughs> 